What's up, everybody? This is Mike Casaza from Earsports.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. This is Country Roads Confidential, and we are going to deviate a little bit from the norm here today. Rather than Chris Anderson and I going back and forth about something serious or silly and sometimes in between, I wanted to take some time out to talk to someone today involved in the mental health and well-being of student-athletes at West Virginia and it turns out around the country. I think it's kind of an interesting, overlooked, underappreciated part of this quarantine era because college athletes have had to deal with so much both in an abrupt sense and in a prolonged sense during this time. And so have you and I. I get that. I'm not saying it's any different or that one deserves more or less pity than the other, but I think that there's a certain level of appreciation that I know I haven't provided and maybe you haven't attained from earsports.com. Could have done this in a written format, but I think that it's a conversation that probably comes across better in two gentlemen talking rather than me recording a conversation and then typing the words into Microsoft Word, Command A, Command C, Command V, and then putting up a story. That works. That's my livelihood. But this is a little bit more lively and interesting, I think. So I decided to talk to Dr. Scott Barnacle over at West Virginia University's Sports and Exercise Psychology Wing. He has been with the school since 2016 has quite a CV resume, but a long story short is he's extremely qualified to have this conversation with me here today. So you'll hear he and I talk about the infrastructure in place at West Virginia, the parts that he is and is not involved with. You'll hear about how he works at other schools and the conversations that he's having with student athletes at those schools right now. We'll also talk about what has happened for these student athletes, how they're dealing with it, both at the beginning, in the middle, and especially now at the end, which is a really anxious time because people think we're nearing the finish line and everybody's agenda is arriving there at a similar intersection point, which means we have so many voices and so much news all at once. Who and what do we believe and how do our selections there influence what we think is going to happen, how soon it'll happen, and then what it means once we reach those conclusions. And then finally, Dr. Barnacle and I get into some more mainstream conversation about sports and psychology, including why it has become such an accepted and embraced part of sports today, both professional and college. And then how come the mental component is so integral in performance? What's the difference between home games and road games? How can someone develop the yips? How could someone get rid of the jimmies? Why does it arrive so unexpectedly and sometimes disappear just as fast? And then what could sports be like without crowds when they do return, if they do indeed return without crowds? So buckle up. It's a very astute and academic conversation, certainly more because of Dr. Barnacle than me, but I hope you enjoy and this will be my sign-off at the beginning. Chris and I will be back on Friday. But for now, please enjoy this conversation with Dr. Barnacle and I. Have a good one. Hello again. We'll start back up now, and I'll welcome in our guest at this time from West Virginia University, Scott Barnacle. Excuse me, Dr. Scott Barnacle. You've earned those letters. I should get that in there. Uh, Thanks, teaching. Bye. 
a teaching assistant professor at West Virginia, the program coordinator for sports and exercise psychology. I would read your uh, CV resume, but we would run out of time. So let me hit the bullet points pretty fast. Um, undergrad at Clemson, master's at BC, 2013. Um, become a doctor in philosophy of sports and exercise psychology at the University of Idaho. You've been at West Virginia since 2016. First, thank you, Scott. Appreciate this. This is interesting time, I would guess, for all of us, but especially for you, the teams that you work with, and the doctoral candidates that you oversee. How is this era going for you all? Yeah, it is a very interesting time, Mike. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks again for having me on. Um, I think we are trying to kind of roll with the punches just along with you know, just, just along with everybody else. Um, our students, I would say, have been handling this well. Uh, you know, we still have been pretty active with a few of the West Virginia teams, a few of the Fairmont, Fairmont State University first, first teams, but it certainly has been a very um, interesting last six to eight weeks or so. Yeah, that's probably a good word for it, and it's, it's evolving, <laughs> too. I've had regular contact with head coaches, as has all the media, through these news conferences that they're doing through Zoom. I imagine you all are using a lot of that, too. But it seems like every one of these coaches, they make mention of – the mental well-being and the support system in place for their student athletes. Cause as we well know, this is probably a trying time for everybody and them, especially because of all the things that happened to them suddenly, which we'll get into, but you are familiar with this because you oversee student athletes and your colleagues are doing similar work here too. Can you tell me about what these coaches are talking about? What system is in place that if someone does need to talk to somebody, need some help, need some guidance, need some advice, um, what exists as far as just kind of showing them the way right now? Yeah, so I guess I'll provide a little bit of context on the structure here at West Virginia University. Um, first off, within the athletic department, they have an in-staff sports psychologist, um, Dr. Dan Dana Charbonneau. Mm -hmm. She's a licensed clinical psychologist. She's been here since 2017, I believe, and we actually work with her a lot. So. She works with a few of the athletic teams, but she primarily handles any kind of counseling issues or any, any kind of um, any kind of treatment along those lines. We in the sport and exercise psychology program don't handle any kind of treatment. We are more focused on performance enhancement. So um, she has been very busy. Uh, she is a staff of one. Uh, I do know that this last year she had a GA. Um, and they were extremely busy. So she is, she's here to handle any kind of treatment, any kind of clinical issues. We have currently 15 um, PhD students in sport and exercise psychology. So we are the largest program in the world and we have six full-time faculty here, which is also to my understanding, the largest in the world. So we work with a variety of West Virginia athletic teams, as well as um, collegiate athletic teams from around West Virginia. So what, what that looks like really varies from team to team. So we have a student, she works with rowing, for, for example. So she attends the majority of their practices. She gives workshops. Again, this would have been prior to the end of March. Um, she gives workshops probably once a week and she speaks with the coaches normally once, once a week or so. Um, 
We have students working with the women's tennis program, with the swimming and diving programs. They were actually at the Big 12s, which uh, West Virginia performed very, very well at. Um, let's see. We have someone working with the women's volleyball team. He's actually been extreme, extremely active. They were holding once a week um, workshops um, up until last week, I feel. And again, those are all electronic. Electronically, and um, sure, I am missing some of the work they've done, but yeah, they've they've still been working a lot with uh, with the athletic department. You had mentioned to me that I did not know this until you told me, but separately, you also work with a handful of schools: um, Idaho, Nebraska, South Carolina, and some others. Um, mm -hmm. Certainly, you can't tell me the nature and the identity of these conversations. I get that, but I'm just curious: are there common topics? that come up in your discussions, whether it's, you know, the issues they're encountering, the pressures that they feel, the concerns they have for what's coming. Yeah, like that's a really, really good question. I could probably go on for a solid hour and a half about that, uh, but sort of just to wrap <laughs> it up. So I think from a coaching perspective, a lot of the spring sports felt extremely like unfulfilled. You know, they work really, really hard, six months, eight months, and then, just like that, everything's over. And a lot of the coaches I've spoken with weren't certain what to do, right? So they, they essentially were working hard up until the middle of, of the spring, really, really prepping for championship season, and then it's completely over. So I think a lot of the coaches had a real hard time handling that. It just really... It, it was it was hard for them to handle how quickly everything just kind of shut down. I actually was scheduled to travel to a conference championship, uh, and that just went completely out the window. So I think that was really hard from a coaching standpoint. I think one of the other things that's been extremely hard from a coaching standpoint is handling the future of the scholarships. You know, they had to figure out what that mm -hmm. looks like, how that affects things like recruiting, um, how that affects things like playing time um the majority of the coaches i spoke with that was that was an extreme hassle that they really had to deal with towards the end of april or, or the beginning of may um regarding the players a lot of them felt felt a feeling of like disappointment you know they again they work really really hard and it just all gets kind of taken from from them and a lot of them felt like they weren't really certain wh what to do with themselves you know you will we'll use a sport i work with golf I would say the average golfer um, at the Division One level probably is work working on their game 25 hours a week at least. So what do they do with that time, right? So I think I think a lot of a lot of athletes weren't really certain what to do with themselves, um, and I, I I think that actually still happens. You know, I think. Mm -hmm. A lot of the tournaments, you know, they aren't even happening till the end of June, right? So what do I do with myself until, you know, till an event? So um, certainly a lot of struggles. I think some of the smaller universities are having a, a more ch challenging time. I think it might affect some of them more severely moving forward, especially with whatever's going to happen with fo football. Um yeah, so it's it's certainly been hard on on everybody involved. There's no precedent for this either. You can't grab the book on the shelf and flip to the chapter about what to do in a pandemic 
interrupts your season ends your career too um how much of this is just kind of being i don't know adapted and administered on the fly as far as like the conversations you have and just the back and forth between you and coaches or you and student athletes yeah i think a lot of the student athletes i spoke with at the start of this they had a sense of loss and panic right they're like what do i do what should i be thinking about how do i kind of handle this i have all this anxiety i can't really sleep and you as a consultant, you know, you almost have to be like the voice of reason, right? Say you're speaking to like a 21-year-old and he, he or she is just really worried. If, if you are on the phone like, you know what, man, I really don't know either. This is, this is awful, right? That's not going to help them. So um, I, I would think a lot of consultants around the country almost acted like the fake it till you make it because we, we almost – we almost like had to help. So yeah, there's certainly not a playbook for this. I certainly was not trained in this through my, through my uh, variety of colleges, but uh, it was, it was interesting time as a consultant. I can, I can certainly tell you that much. And there actually is a lot of ongoing research as well. Um, There were a few researchers at West Virginia. There have been a few researchers at Florida state university and Michigan state university who have been looking into that. So hopefully we get some some of those results end of the summer-ish. One thing you've written about academically, and I think I told you this too, um, that I, I'd actually read before was an article about when athletes get to the end of their careers yeah. and have to go on with life without sports. And for you know not a large number, but a meaningful number here at West Virginia, there are people who didn't get to complete their winter championship season so ncaa tournaments for wrestling uh basketball obviously those are the high profile ones but beyond that you have seniors in the spring sports who didn't even get a season never mind a championship season and while they can come back as you know like once you start to see the end you start to prepare for that to have to think about wait a minute i can have another year back and do this all over again that's wild to think about because to prepare yourself for life after college baseball uh college track and field things like that it's not easy, right? You're, you're kind of ramping up for it to go over that ledge. And then all of a sudden to make a decision, do I want to continue or do I want to come back and do it over again? Because I really like this. I don't want to lose it too. Um, that has to have been a useful background for you here. But what, what are those emotions? What are those feelings like for those student athletes? Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the student athletes in that situation have to rely on the support 
staff that they have, whether that be their friends, whether whether that be their family, whether that be us, um, whether that be their coaches. Um, you know, I think for the players who had pretty much figured out that this was going to be the, the end of the road, and then they try to switch it on again and be like, no, I think I want to come back one more year. I think that process would be extremely challenging, right? Kind of like the switching it off, switch, switching it on. Um, for the student athletes that were thinking about going pro, we're, again, where that's, there's not a lot of them, but there are certainly a few, that would be a very challenging decision as well. You know, I, I, I personally haven't worked with any of those here. I've worked with those around the country, but um, trying to weigh, do I stay in school for one extra year? Do I kind of test the pro, um, you know, test what that would look, look like? Um, that would be extremely challenging. I think one of the things that's probably the hardest for student athletes, um, at least here at West, West Virginia, is, you know, they all had to go home. So I remember vividly sitting in a class the week before spring break. It was a um, 400 level course. So these were all primarily seniors. I had five student athletes in the class, actually. And this was on a Wednesday, Wednesday at Wednesday at one. And a lot of the students hadn't necessarily processed that they had to go home and this was it. Um, so some of these students I, I had had for the last three years. And it was, it was extremely difficult to see the reaction on their face. Like this is the end. I won't ever have this experience 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 again. So, um, I would have assumed if they had their, um, you know, they had like, like their friends around, if they had their peers around, that would be much more helpful. So especially with athletes as well, you know, trying to handle this at home, um, without a lot of support would, would be extremely challenging. Yeah, let's stick with that for a second. The NCAA from the very beginning has made sure that first and foremost, students were able to kind of acquiesce into a new abnormal, I yep. guess would be the best way to put it. So you couldn't teach, you couldn't have them, for example, have team meetings. Now you can't a couple hours a week. Right. Uh, you can't administer strength and conditioning workouts. You can give them guidance, but you can't make them do it. And even social media, for example, coaches can't like or comment on a workout post because that makes that means it's being tracked and monitored and thus non-voluntary. So there are measures in place to make sure the kids are getting a bit of a break. But the right. prevailing sense is there that they have a job to do right now and to stay fit, don't get overweight, keep your conditioning, make sure you can sprint and run and play, you know, 40 minutes, four quarters, three sets, whatever, when you get back too. It's unspoken, but it's still there. What type of pressures are they made to endure right now from a distance you think yeah i mean they're certainly still present you know there were certain um west virginia teams certain fairmont state teams they were planning on hanging around um and they again they they eventually went home but um you know i would assume a lot of the student athletes probably had a little bit of like a break you know they all would have gone home at the end of march you know, I would assume they probably would have taken a week off, week and a half off, two weeks off. But yeah, there certainly is a pressure that they have to be in shape. You know, um, I know there's a lot of confusion currently on what's going to happen in the fall. So you do not want to be that uh, player who is like, oh, shoot, I haven't really worked out. I'm completely out of shape. I haven't practiced. Um, wouldn't, wouldn't look good for the coach. Wouldn't look good for my friends. Wouldn't look good for the fans. 
Um, so there's a certainly a lot of pressure, um, at least from a sport and exercise psychology program. We have offered our ser services um, as much as possible. You know, I think every team that we worked with, at least from um, the program that I, I, I work, work, work with, work, work in, they were giving work workshops, whether that be once a week, whether that be twice a week. I know, um, you know, we tried to be there for, for whoever wanted help. And I, I am pretty certain that would be the exact same case with Dr. Charbonneau as well, whether that be here or whether that be via Zoom or what, you know, whatever. There's a sense that we're, we're kind of getting near the finish line here, that there's good progress and steps are being taken and, you know, campus will be open in the fall. That's the plan. Presumably, that's a runway for sports. So you kind of think this is, you know, light toward the end of the tunnel. But this may be the most, you know, anxious moment for the student athletes because they think it's almost over and they can get back to school soon. There's no guarantee that's the case. And there's a billion different sources of information with sure. a billion different bits of information, too. Um, how do they navigate this? Yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, I sit in meetings every, every week and some of the in info we get switches week, week to week. Right. So there's there's a lot of info out there. Um, we at West West Virginia are a relatively in interesting school. We get a lot of st uh, students from all over the country, right? So we get a lot from New York, New J Jersey area, a lot from like Virginia, where the situation there isn't what it is here. You know, we do not have a lot of cases comparatively. Um, West Virginia, and at least from what I've read, the Big 12 is probably more open to football than a lot of other conferences. Like I, I would assume you saw either yesterday that the California schools won't even have in-person classes in the fall. Mm -hmm. So what does that look like for football and all the, the other sports sports as well? Um, and I suppose where I'm kind of headed with this is, you know, I think it would be hard for the students at home to kind of, kind of end up compare with their friends, right? So say you have a student here, he's from Long, Long Island, for example, and then he has a friend that plays at Rutgers. Right. I would imagine that the situation at Rutgers is going to look a lot different than what the situation look, looks like here. So that could provide a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of stress. Um, you know, I think in the age of social media as well, there's a lot of really wrong info online as well. Um, you don't say. So really trying to ensure that our students are reading what West Virginia wants them to read. You know, we've we have had a website since week one. Um, it was updated every single day, right? So we really try to get West Virginia students to read West Virginia news, not everything else on Twitter, right? So um, I think the effect of social media on this, you know, that's not, that's a completely other, other kind of um, topic, certainly provides our students a higher level of anxiety. You mentioned you have some experience in golf. I think back to like Tink Cup with Rene Russo and that was such an odd concept that an athlete would need that sort of guidance. Um, that's such a dated and antiquated reference because more and more, this is becoming accepted mainstream, uh, a strength, a go-to for student athletes. And I can remember during the season, uh, a football player, Sam James was having a hard time with drops and he addressed it with the media. And he said he had talked to actually Dr. Charbonneau um, yeah. and like no one blinked. 
and I think back to a couple of years and, you know, if someone had gone to a doctor for a, a situation like that, who knows what the response might've been. Think of the Sopranos, bad example, but like yeah. he didn't want anybody knowing he was meeting with Dr. Melfi. Um, what's been the change as far as performance and the mental aspect where the two are, they're not stiff arming each other anymore. It seems like that the athletic side has reached out um, to further enable the athletics by using the mental health they get. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, it's been a long road in the field of sport and exercise psychology. Um, so to take a pers- personal example, uh, when I was at Boston College, I, I, I was in a program because I, I wanted to be a child therapist. So my program there was in counseling psych. And I hadn't even ever heard of the field of sport, sport and exercise psychology. I hadn't even heard of it. And I was third year in that program. So I took an elective class called the Psychology of Performance Excellence, I believe. And I just got hooked. So, I mean, that was in 2010. So it certainly continued to um, grow lately. Um, I think it started in specific sports, primarily individual sports. So it's it's been widely using uh, a sport like golf for 25 years at least you know 35 years uh sports like wrestling sports like track skiing it's been used for a long long time um i think that it's grown uh since the army has actually expanded significantly so i was lucky enough to work for the army for from 2012 to 2016 before i came here um and even when when I worked there, it expanded across the army from only about 25 of us to now, I think now the army employs almost 300 of us. Um, so I think, and you know, I think that certainly helped. I think that the, the stigma is certainly less, you know, you have a lot of pro teams who hire people like me, you know, the, the, uh, Prime example is football is the Seattle Seahawks. They've had a high performance um, psychologist for, well, ever since Pete Carroll got there. So six years, eight eight years. So um, I certainly think in the pro level, it's grown over the last 10 years and kind of like the big, the big four. And then I think that acceptance has led to more use within college, you know, most every power five team now has a staff sports psychologist, at least one. There are schools that have like six. So the University of Oklahoma has at least four. Uh, Ohio State has a bunch. Clemson has a bunch. Um, and I think it's been more accepted by students as well. So they're, they're much less afraid to talk about it. You know, so um, the it's certainly been growing. We we obviously wanted to 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 continue to grow, um, and and we just need to hear a lot from people who are utilizing the services and and really how it's been helping. A couple more, if you Scott here, and these are just kind of separate from our current environment and going to just the the psychology in general. One does kind of blend in a little bit. Um, quite likely we're going to have at least reduced crowds, perhaps even no crowds in some or all of our events when they do eventually return. And I can remember talking to the golf coach of West Virginia, Sean Kovich, and mm-hmm. it was just a foreign concept to him to have golf without fans because he said that the the consequences, the risks you take, the performance you have is just different without a crowd. Um, what would volleyball, football, 
basketball, wrestling, what would these sports be like without crowds and the adherent you know, advantages or disadvantages for performers without them in the stands? Yeah, I think that's something that's really yet to be seen. Um, I know in Europe they sometimes play sports without fans because of crowd violence, which is actually mm -hmm. something we discussed in a, a 300 level, level course I teach. I, I think a lot of it would be how how can how can athletes handle the effect on their on things like their anxiety, things like their heart rate, things like their mood, that having fans simply helps, right? You want to be able to play for somebody. You know, I I love watching fo football here, being, you know, with six, 65,000 other people who all want one thing to happen, for West Virginia to do something well or West Virginia to win. You as a, you as a player certainly feel that, right? It helps you kind of run faster, hit harder, throw, throw, throw harder, whatever the case may be. So I think, I think that the um, coaches and the consultants are really going to have to help try to recreate that as much as they can uh things like pump up talks would just be an example but um yeah i think i think i think an idea like a home field advantage would be significantly less um i think in a sport like volleyball or a sport like tennis it, it, it could certainly affect like rallies you know like if if you're playing on your home floor and you have a really good rally the crowd goes wild so um, we as consultants, we as people within the field of sport, sport and exercise psychology, we're certainly going to have to think about how to handle that. Um, I think that the coaches are going to have to be more aware how playing without any fans is affecting the players. And I think the players are going to have to become a little bit more aware how it's affecting them and really being able to adjust when they have to. Right. So if, if, if you have a player on the fo football field, realize he's just slow, right? He's maybe has like a lower, um, lower um, heart rate, lower kind of level, level of arousal. And he, he realizes he has to do something to, to kind of get, get himself up, get himself pumped up, get himself kind of ready, ready to go. That's going to be, ha that really has to be on him to be able, be able to, to realize where he is at and to be able to be, be able to fix it quickly because there aren't a lot of fans out there. Um, I don't really have an effect or I don't really have a sense about how, how it's going to affect things like the budget. I'm, I'm really happy. I don't have to make any of those decisions, um, <laughs> which there's certainly going to be a large effect on something like that. But yeah, it's going to be a very interesting time in the fall, especially depending on the sport, you know, maybe a sport that's not used to having a lot of fans there would change the result less, right? Whereas right. something like football, it could have a huge effect. Let's go to um, home versus road. What you've explained, that kind of covers one aspect of it. If you have a home crowd, you're going to have a little bit more juice. You're going to have that majority of people rooting you on for one outcome, too. But there's more to it than that. And the reason that it's so hard to win on the road is not because of the number of people in the stands, but... Again, routines are disrupted because you're not waking up yep. in your bed. You're not having breakfast in the cafeteria you're used to. You're not wearing the same uniform color. Um, what is it about playing on the road that's so difficult for any sport, it seems like? Yeah, I mean, I think it's your level of comfort, you know. Um, there's a lot of research out there, you know, lots of research out there on the effect of the home, home field advantage. I, I do know in certain sports it's greater uh, – 
where the um, the actual field you are on isn't exactly the same. So a sport like hockey, it's going to be the exact same field or exi- the the um, the exact same. I guess like yeah, we'll just use the example of field. Whereas a sport like baseball, they can have different fields, right? One can be smaller, one can mm-hmm. be longer. Um, so that would be a very small component of it. But yeah, I mean, when you're on the road, you don't. Sleep as well. I mean, you try to kind kind of have the exact same thing happen, but again, you just aren't in that exact same level of comfort. Um, and you know, it, it's really hard to play when you're having a lot of people rooting for the opposite team. You know, that certainly affects your le- level of confidence. That affects your kind of like, you know, heart rate's a little bit higher if ever, ever, everyone wants you to lose. So. Um, there's a lot of components, um, and we as coaches, you know, I, I, I was a coach for eight years. We can try to help athletes, but at the end of the day, you can't control the crowd. You know, we can do a lot of things. We can try to try, try, try to use things like timeouts, for, ex- for, for example, but you can't control, you can't control six, 65,000 people. So, um, Lots of different things that, that the coaches can try. Not all of them are helpful, but <laughs> that's why they get paid the big bucks, I guess, right? Last one for you here. Student athletes don't get paid big bucks, but they can have a similar struggle that a pro athlete can. Someone develops the yips, the jimmies. They can't make a free throw. They can't make a putt. They can't throw a strike. And they could be the best at it up until that point, and then they can snap out of it after a game, a week, a month. There's no telling when it's going to arrive and there's really no way to get rid of it. Sometimes it just happens. Um, we've seen it here. Uh, Derek Culver was like an 80% free throw shooter at the start of the year and, and shot about 40 something percent the rest of the year. We mentioned Sam James um, who got out of it and started making very difficult catches. Again, you have played golf, um, worked with golfers. They have issues with shanks and slices and putts sometimes too. And it can all come unexpectedly too. I've never had a good answer for this. It's, it can happen to one player and it can kind of infect, so to speak, the rest of the team, where if you're a really yeah. good free throw shooter isn't making free throws, you struggle. If your closer isn't throwing strikes, it can bring everybody down. It's a weird phenomenon, but how do players and how do teams that have it, how do they lose it? And then suddenly you get it back, too. Yeah, so you use the example of um, free th- throws. I actually worked with a West Virginia athlete a few years ago on on – on his free throws. Uh, he luckily did not have the hiccups or like the yips or whatever. Um, but when I'm working with someone or when I'm working with a team, I describe it as like a hiccup, right? So when we have like a hiccup, we hate it. We're like, I shouldn't be having a hiccup. I realize how to breathe. What's going on? And uh, a hiccup is just a slight change in um, some something which you really shouldn't have to think, think about, right? So there's there's a lot of ways you can kind of fix the hiccups, chug water, like laugh, right? All all, all these are the uh, these these other things. Well, when when who I'm working with is experiencing the yips, for example, typically it's on a putt shorter than about like a foot a foot and a half or two two feet. So on a putt that short, you're really only having a stroke that's six inches long, right? So it's a very very small stroke. And some, something is going wrong that they shouldn't be thinking about. And that's why I, I describe it as almost like a hiccup of like your head, right? So uh, not to get, I mean, this, this could be a relatively long answer. One, one of the ways I work with people is I, I have them list 
listen to like a um, one of their favorite songs, right? So, and I I want them to try to sing the song while they're hitting the putt. And the reason I have them do this is to try to get them thinking about some something completely different while they are doing a very very short stroke. And this has often been very very effective. A lot of Student athletes hate this. They're like, this sounds like the stupidest thing ever. I'm like, I fully understand, but you have like the hiccups right now of your head. We have to, we have to get you, get you out of this. Um, when we are talking about someone shooting free throws, mainly their routine gets off. So their routine either gets a lot slower, gets a lot quicker. Um, they could be focusing on something like the crowd, focusing on the scoreboard, but in general, what has been working for them in the past quickly changes right so um that's just one one of the reasons i i like to explain it's like a hiccup um a lot of people can kind of get a sense of that what that kind of looks like what that means because we've all had had them um but yeah when when one person on the team has the yips they can spread often because you'll never even like hearing the word yips right you can't say that in golf you just like the word you're not allowed allowed to even have that out there so um, relatively long answer to a relatively short question, but yeah, I mean, there, there, there are certainly ways which we can work with someone on them, but, um, one of the most effective ways I've seen, one of the most kind of simple to kind of get across would be explaining the yips as hiccups. So I should play music when I'm typing and that'll rid me of my typo plague. When I actually write, I listen to music very, very loudly. I like it. <laughs> but I, I also make a lot of typos as well, so I, compl I completely understand. All right. Well, we will look for my quality of work to improve right now. I will send nice. you, the, uh, I'll send you the, the check for this one. You can send me the bill first, and we'll take care of this transaction. But uh, <laughs> Wonderful. Dr. Scott Barnacle, thank you so much for this. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's an insightful look at kind of, I think, an obscured part, but really an important part of this whole time. And uh, couldn't have done it without you. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks. All right. Thank you. Bye.